Amen. Well, it's been a couple weeks, man, since I've, I've ministered. So it's like, I've got a lot to say today. <laughs> and, uh, and so whatever I don't finish today, we'll, we'll do next week. Um, and so I've been doing a series. I mean, it's, I think this is part 11 um, on altars. And this started a number of weeks back, a number of months back, uh, when the Lord first started speaking to me. And I was in a back modular building that we have in the back and in storage. And we had these altar benches that were here um, when we first purchased this building back in, um, I think it was purchased in 1994 uh, from a Baptist church. And it became a Bible school, strictly a Bible school until 2000. And that's then the church was founded in 2000. And, and so, so they were in a back storage and I, I, the Lord just caught my eye with them and, and I sat down and, and just the presence of God came on me and he goes, I want you to talk about altars and I want you to minister on what altars are all about. So we've been as a church been on this journey. And so there's no way I can go back and do, uh, 10 messages of review to catch you up to speed. But, but, uh, you know, it's, everything's online that you can go back and listen to, but I do want to establish this principle that altars are always a place of mercy. Not just a piece of furniture in front of the church, and it's and it's more than just a place in front of the church. An altar in the New Testament, according to Hebrews chapter thirteen, says that we have an altar, and it says we go unto Him. Jesus is our altar. So this morning, I want to continue on this journey, and I think it's important as we go forward this morning, and 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 it may, may this is definitely going to be in two parts of what I'm dealing with this morning. And, you know, the altar, you know, there's so many things in, in scripture that you've, you know, talk about the altar. It's a, it's the killing, they, they would call it the killing place. It's where things you, you bring to God. It's where you bring gifts to God. It's, it's where you lay things down. It's not, it's a place where you receive things. It's a place where, where you get direction. It's a place where you receive forgiveness, but also a place where you hear from God that maybe you need to go forgive someone else. Or you need to ask for forgiveness. It's a place of healing. It's a place of change. A lot of things happen in scriptures throughout altars. But this morning as I was, I was preparing along these lines for all week and actually for a couple weeks. Um, I wasn't thinking about this. But this morning when I woke up, I, I was thinking about a missionary. And some of you may have heard of this missionary. Uh, his name is uh, Jim Elliott. Have many people heard of the name of Jim Elliott before? Uh, amazing man. He's got a great story. There's a, uh, I believe it's a, there's a book that was written. There was a movie that was done. It might've been called the tip of the spear. Possibly. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly the name on that, but you can look him up. Um, but he was, he was called to a, 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 an Indian group in South America. And, uh, he went over there, him and his team went over there. And as they went into this village, um, they were killed by these natives and they were martyred for their faith because they preached Jesus and they didn't want to hear it and therefore they were killed. So um, not too long after that, they, they did an interview with his wife and they were writing an article about, uh, about Jim Elliott and, and they asked her a question. They were like, well, how do you feel, how do you feel that your, your husband died in another country, you know, for, for his faith? And she, and she stopped for a moment and she paused and she was just like, and she shook her head and she said, <clears throat> said, Jim didn't die in South America. He said, Jim died as a teenager on the side of his bed when he made, made Jesus the Lord of his life. And he chose to live for God for the rest of his life. <clears throat> That's when he died. 
And I think it's something for us to understand that, that Jim Elliott had a calling on his life. I, I want you to know that you have a calling on your life. And, and your calling on your life is a lot greater than you think it is. It's a lot bigger than what you realize. It's more than what you could really attain or even bargain for, so to speak. But in order for us to fulfill the call on our lives and why we're here, you're here for a reason. Look to your neighbor and say, you're here for a reason. You know, I mean, whether that's, whether that's to establish a business, whether it's, whether it's to, to be behind a pulpit, whether it's to be a missionary, whether it's to work as a, as, as a musician, whether it's to work in, as an attorney, working as a nurse or a doctor or whatever it is, doesn't matter what field you're called to, called to, you have a calling in your life. We're all called to be ministers of reconciliation. We're all called to go ye into all the world. That wasn't, that wasn't just some sort of statement for fivefold ministry gifts. That was something that he spoke to disciples. And if you're a disciple, then we have to receive the same calling that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all men. So it's not about whether you're called to ministry. Ministry is just what you do on behalf of God in the name of God. And whether that's serving in the children's area, whether that's singing on a platform, whether that's, that's cutting the grass, whether that's, that's out in the streets ministering to homeless, it doesn't matter what capacity. You have to know the calling on your life is great and it's beyond what you could think. You know, in Jeremiah 29, 11, I, I is my, my favorite verse, you know, some people that have been coming here for a long time, you know, uh, I, I started preaching, um, here in 2005, November, 2005 was actually the first message I ever preached here. And, um, and I think Rick was here. It was on a Wednesday night and that's when Alan Shook was still here. And I think he had a word for both of us or something. It was somewhere around that time. And, and, um, and I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be in the pulpit. I, it's not something I aspired to. I didn't ask for this. I, I'm scared of people. I didn't <laughs> let alone try to talk in front of a room full of them, you know? And, and, um, and so when I preached for the first time up in that time, I only preached four times in my life. You know, uh, one of those was an inter- intercessory prayer meeting with eight people and three of those were at a, at a homeless shelter. And, um, so that was the extent of my experience. So you have to know that Dr. Savell is a great man of faith. <laughs> and, um, and so, so there was some things that happened in my life. And, and so this Jeremiah twenty nine eleven was something that I, I always held on to as a, a, a verse for my life. And there's so much more than just that one verse that's in that chapter. And, and, uh, and so for the first number of years, the Lord said, every time you preach a message, you're going to use this scripture. So they knew when I started a service, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and, and, and I, and I learned so many things out of that verse. And the very just first word, first couple words says, I know the thoughts that I have for you, the thoughts. And isn't it great to know that God thinks about you? What an amazing concept that the creator of the universe has a thought about Justin. I mean, if no one else had a thought about Justin, I'm so glad that God did. But that word thoughts is even more than just our understanding of thinking. The word thoughts is where we get our English word machine from. And really what it comes down to is every machine is designed, you know, like a light bulb. Okay. A light bulb is a device that has a purpose within it. 
There's a task within that light bulb. If you know the printing press, it's a machine and there's an assignment on the inside of that machine. So when God says, I know the thoughts that I have about you, he's not just saying that I'm going to think about you and what you're having for breakfast, Rick. No, his thoughts far exceed that and far go beyond that. When he says, I have thoughts about you, Pastor Phil, he's saying, I know why I created you. He's saying, I know the task that you're going to accomplish. I know the purpose that's down on the inside of you. So you have to know that that whether you're you may be here or watching by way of Internet and you never made Jesus all of your life. Well, deep down on the inside of you, there is a God designed call for each one of us. And it's beyond what you could think. You know, Jim Elliott, uh, I wrote a few quotes down this morning and, and just, he had a lot of great quotes. And he said this, he says, the will of God is always bigger than we bargained for. What we must believe that whatever it is involves it, whatever it's involved in is good, acceptable, and it's perfect. Now let's look at Romans chapter 12. I did tell you to go there, didn't I? No, I didn't. Well, go to Romans 12. Romans 12. Verse 1, and I'll read this in the Amplified. Paul says here, and he's writing to the church of Rome. And he says, I appeal. King James says, I beseech. Meaning there's some, there's some urgency in this phrase. I appeal to you. This is something that he's saying, you got to hear this. So as your pastor, there's some things I'm going to say today you got to hear. Because it, it does affect your life. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in the view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service in spiritual worship. So this, this has to do with my worship. So me presenting my body as a living sacrifice, and it's not just, it's not just my body and being saved and being born again, because it, 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 you, it, it's one thing, you, you can't pull a scripture out of context. The whole context of this scripture is realizing that you, every one of us has gifts. He talks about the gift of giving. He talks about the gift of prophecy. He talks about the gift of hospitality. He talks about all sorts of gifts in the body here. It's not just gifts of being a pastor or gifts of being a prophet. It's all sorts of gifts and realizing that, that each one of us have a calling upon our lives and each one of us has a purpose. And if that purpose is going to be filled, we have to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And, and I love how the Amplified describes it and amplifies it. Is is the, the, the of your your body everything? What you do, what are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your mouth? What are you doing with your feet? Where are you going? Who you're talking to? What's what's your life all about? So what the what Paul is saying here? He goes, you need to present yourself as a living sacrifice. God's not God's not into us doing nothing. That's why he said a living sacrifice. We're living sacrifices. This, this isn't, this isn't for when we get to heaven one day. It's, it's for everyday life right now. Living sacrifices. And, and he explains it this way. And he says this decisive dedication of your bodies presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well pleasing to God. Everything that we have 
needs to be dedicated to God, not just this hour and a half segment on a Sunday morning, everything. And so, so we, we learned about these, these presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. You, they would do that at what altars. So this altar that I want to deal with today is this, this, the altar is a place of consecration. See, the calling is great. The calling is vast. The calling is big. But if we don't understand consecration, we'll never under, we'll never walk in the fullness of our calling. Go to Jeremiah chapter one. What is consecration? It's a super religious word. I mean, you don't go around and say, Matt, have you consecrated yourself today? It's, it's not something that we use often. But the word consecration means to separate or set apart. It means to give yourself to a certain thing. Consecration means to be dedicated to a specific or higher purpose. Dedicated means to be devoted wholly and earnestly. It means given your entire life to something. Consecration is an act of keeping ourselves within the will of God and the call of God for our lives. Now, let's look at here in Jeremiah chapter 1. Remember, I talked about Jeremiah 29 where he said, I know the thoughts that I have for you. But what does he say here in verse 5 of chapter 1? He says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained you. To be a prophet to the nations. Now here, so he, he says this, he goes, he goes, before you were born, I knew you. I was acquainted with you. Meaning I knew why you're here. I'm acquainted with the design I made you. He knew that Terry, when he was born, that he'd be a minister of the gospel. Not just because your dad was a pastor, but you have ministry in you, and it's not just something you want to do. See, ministry is not something I do, it's who I am. It's the same thing. It's like whether I, I, I was, if I wasn't pastoring this church and I was in this church, I would still be doing ministry because it's just who I am. It's not what I do, it's, it's part of my life. It's not like, oh, well, you're a minister. I, you, you can't separate minister from Justin. You, it, it's, it, it, and it's not. You could take the position away. You can take the, the paycheck away. You can take it all away from me. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that I'm a minister. Yes. The, the, my title isn't what, what gives me confidence in, 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 in what, I, what, what, I did, what I am. It's just, no, I, God has thoughts about me. And whether you like it or not, you're called to ministry. I'm sorry, you are. If you're, if you're breathing and you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're called to ministry. Uh, you are. Now, it may not be a behind this. That's a misconception in the body of Christ. It's, it's like people, all of a sudden people, you know, you got a call in your life, and, and, but yet you, you're graced to do business. And, and all of a sudden people would just get out of business where they're graced and try to get in the pulpit, and they fall flat on their face. And they're saying, well, God, I thought you called me to ministry. Well, you, you're ministering everywhere you go. Amen. 
So, so what we have to understand is, is I, I, I had this calling in my life. He knew me and it said he sanctified me and it said he ordained me. Now this word ordained there to be a prophet, this ordained means to, he, he gave you for that. He gave you, he ordained you, he gave you. He knew what you were called to do. He set you apart for what you were called to do, Jeremiah. And then he gave you to them to be a prophet to the nations. He gave you. I I used, I, I didn't think about this illustration, but I used it in the first service that the Lord gave Annette to my life. For, so there's a purpose that she's in my life. And if, if the Lord gave her to my life in order for her to step into the fullness of that, she has to consecrate herself to the fact of why God gave her to me. And it's the same thing. The Lord gave me to Annette. And if I don't set, if I don't consecrate my life and set my life apart, then I'll never be what I need to be for her. See, that's one of the biggest challenges in, in marriages is two lives coming under roof and being, you know, two lives coming together and being one, but yet you're not consecrated to being one. That's good. And therefore there's constant struggle. There's, there's constant things that are happening because, be, because you have to set yourself apart on what God gave you for. Not a whole lot of amens there. Praise the Lord. But the, the point is, is that God gave you a calling. But the thing is, the calling is not automatic. There's a misconception in the body of Christ and, and, and it's this phrase that people use and some of you might get mad at me, but it's this phrase that, well, God is in control. If I go out and have an affair on my wife, was God in control of that? I mean, if God's in control of planet Earth, then, then I think we need another God. If God's in control. No, God is only control on what we give him control of. I mean, the calling is great. You know, the the calling there's, there's, there's potential down on the inside of each one of us, but just because there's potential, does that mean that potential will be fulfilled? I have a great definition for what potential means. Potential is this. It's possibilities, but not positivelys. See, potential is, is, is Terry, there's a lot of potential in you. But just because there's full, there's potential in you, does that mean that you're going to reach your full potential? No, it's what you choose to do. It's what you set yourself apart to. Now, if I, if I never, now I've got, I, I, I didn't realize this, but I had a call of God on my life to be a teacher, but yet I didn't want to talk in front of anyone. And, and even though uh, you people would pray over me and prophesy over me that you're going to be a teacher of the word and you're going to be a preacher and you're going to be a pastor and people would say, and I'm saying to myself, you're, you have no clue what you're talking about. But the question is, is, is even though I'm called to be a teacher, the thing is, if I didn't set myself apart to the word of God, would I be ever be an effective teacher? So it it has the the calling is there. The the potential is there. The issue is, is we never step into the fullness what's on our lives because of our level of consecration. 
Kenneth Hagin made a statement in his book, Following God's Plan for Your Life, and one of my favorite books that he ever wrote, and, and he makes a statement, and he said, he asked the Lord, he said, he said, Lord, how come I saw so many amazing miracles in the early days of my ministry? And he's, he's crying out to God because, God, I want to see the things I saw in the early days, the things I saw under the tent and, the, and the, mer- the miraculous things that I saw. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He said, well, you saw greater things because there was a greater level of consecration. And so often we want, we want God to do things just automatically without any connection with our part to play. So you have a part to play in the calling on your life. And it has to do with your level of consecration and what God set you apart for. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at Abraham. See, consecration isn't a one-time event. But it's a continual process. Genesis 12 verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I'll show you. And I'll make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. Curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Man, what a, what a calling. Make your name great. Blessed to be a blessing. God's saying, I'm even going to curse those that curse you. Wow. Man, I'm going to go before you. I got your back. I'm surrounding you. Man, so what are we seeing? We're seeing the call of Abraham. God is calling Abraham. Out of where his, the, the lifestyle of his father, so to speak. And he's calling them into living life different. And so the calling is great, right? I mean, think about it. Make your name great. Blessed to be a blessing. Wow. I don't know about you, but, but I, I want that for my life. How about you? And so we can, we can champion the, we can champion the call. We can champion what God had said. We can champion the good things and the, and the prosperity that, that God was going to confer upon Abraham. But the thing is, was, was that calling was what God had said, the creator of the universe that spoke everything into being and now speaking over Abraham is what God said automatically going to happen. Mm. No. You see, you have to read verse four. So Abram departed. See, the call was leave and then this will happen. So the breakthrough didn't happen until what Abraham departed. See, Abraham lining himself with the word of God and what God told him to do was Abraham consecrating himself to the greater call. And and we see through this throughout his life and ministry. Go to Genesis chapter 17. And so we knew he had this call and that he was going to be the father of many nations. God even took him out to look at the, look at the stars of heaven and saying, Hey, if you can number all these, so shall your, your seed be. Man, and we can get excited about what God is showing us in a life of ministry. We can get excited about what the word of God is saying about our lives. But what happened? Abraham tried to do it himself. 
He tried to take things in his own hands and therefore he got Ishmael. So here now, now, now God had, had also been silent for a number of years and all of a sudden now speaks to Abraham again in Genesis 17. And he says, and when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me and be perfect. I'm almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. So what was it going to take? It was going to take Abraham doing something about consecrating himself to what God wanted him to do. So much so in the same context here, God speaks to him and says, hey, you are no longer called Abram, but I'm going to call you Abraham. Let's look at verse, let's look at verse nine. And God said to Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Wait a minute. It's like Abraham's like, God, I I was with you until you said that. You see, this aspect of circumcision was an aspect of consecration. It was an aspect of consecration is an aspect of a cutting away. It's an act of removing things that would keep you from stepping into the fullness of what God was calling you to do. And so for us, and as New Testament believers, Romans tells us that, that it said you had the circumcision of the flesh, but we now have the circumcision of the heart. So we have to understand that everything that Abraham was doing in his whole life to walk in the fullness of what God had called him to, everything was having to do with consecration, setting himself apart for what God had called him to do. When he took Isaac up on the, up on the, up on the altar and, and saying, God saying, Hey, go to a mountain that I'll show you. And he took him up and he's with the servants and he tells them, Hey, I, I see the, the sacrifice, but Isaac is going, where's the wood? And he's like, uh, just wait a minute. And he goes to raise that knife to kill his son. And I always say this, that if Abraham didn't do it, God couldn't have. He had to find a man that was willing to do what God needed to do for all humanity. So if Abraham as being a man couldn't do it and wouldn't do it, then God couldn't. And I can show you other examples about that. But the point is, is it was levels of consecration that Abraham had to walk out in order for him to be what God had called him. And that was the father of many nations. That's why today we talk about Abraham as the father of faith. Faith is, was more than just believing and speaking. James says this, that That Abraham's faith came to finality when he offered Isaac. So, so consecration is not, it's about what are we doing with our lives on a day in and day out basis that's going to carry us to the fullness of what God's called us to do and what he's called us to be. This is a principle throughout scripture, this life of consecration, life of setting myself apart to be used by God. Let's go to, um... Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one. 
verse 1. We see consecration with Abraham. Now let's look at the Apostle Paul. Verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, you can be called to be an apostle, and you could be separated unto the gospel of God. But that doesn't mean that you'll be effective. The, the key in the scripture isn't the calling. The key in the scripture is what he labeled himself. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. But did Jesus say he wants to be the greatest of all what must be what servant of all? You see, it, it's ministry and being a minister. It's not about what you can do for me as your pastor. But it, what is God directing me to do as a pastor to serve you? You may not like everything I say. You may not receive everything that I say or every decision that I make. But the issue, my heart behind every decision I make is I'm here to serve you. And I'm here serving you because I'm choosing to serve God. So when he says a servant, now this isn't just a servant as in, you know, um, I like to occasionally, you know, uh, do some things around the church or no, this was this word servant is where we would look at as a slave, but it's what we would call a bond slave. It's not just serving because because I have to do this. That's not what a bond servant is. That's not what a bond slave was. In the Old Testament, when they would have slaves and, and some people had to bring themselves under certain people because of debt. And so they would have to become a slave or a servant to a certain group of people. And once their debt was paid, they would be released. But so often what would be the case is, is they wouldn't want to leave that family because they were so connected to that family from serving them that they said, hey, I'm not now a, a slave because I have to be. I'm a slave because I want to be. And that's what a bond slave is. A bond slave is. And that's what the word that Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He's not saying I'm a servant of Jesus Christ because I have to be. I'm in this position because this is what I want to be. And because this is what I want to be, and because I'm choosing to be the servant, I'm an apostle. And because of that, I'm called to preach the gospel. See, so often people want to preach the gospel and they want to be in ministry, but you need to take care of this first thing first. I'm a bond servant. I'm a bond servant. It doesn't matter if you put a title on me. It doesn't matter if you pay me for it. It doesn't matter. I'm a bond servant. But see, that is a life of consecration and you'll never fulfill the fullness of your life, the fullness of your marriage, the fullness of any relationship until you consecrate yourself over to what God's calling you to do. A life of consecration. And we, we, we don't, you know, Paul, Paul said this, he says, he goes, my life is not my own. I'm bought with a price. He said, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. What does he mean by that? The, the calling of my life is greater than the temporary pleasure. 
I mean, that, that's consecration. You even see that same heart with Joseph. Joseph knew he had a call in his life and he, 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 was a, he was a dreamer of dreams and God had given him a dream on how he would, how he would affect people and how he would change things and, and all these things throughout his life and ministry and he's in Pharaoh's house and, and he's in this place and he's second in charge of Pharaoh's house and, uh, and, and, and Potiphar's wife comes to him and tries to, to seduce him and, and he makes a statement. He goes, how can I do this wickedness and sin against my God? What was that? That was an attitude of consecration. I mean, how can I touch that knowing that God's called me to change this nation? See, God's not, he, 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 he is so into all that's on the inside of you. And all he's saying, hey, you've got to consecrate yourself if you're going to step into the fullness of what I've called you to be. What I've called you to. So much bigger than we think it is. And that the church, is, I, I don't think, has got a full understanding of, of the, the church being the church. Thank you, Father. Mm. Paul is bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm called to be an apostle. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Still looking at the life of Paul. You're receiving something this morning. Whether you realize it or not, I am speaking prophetically to your destiny. Verse 15 of Galatians 1, Paul speaking here, he says, But when he who had chosen and set me apart, even before I was born, and had called me by his grace... His undeserved favor and blessing. He saw fit and was pleased to reveal his son in me. That I might preach him among the heathen. So here he got a revelation of what this call was. He was chosen from the foundation of the world. He saw fit to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Same as saying, Lord visited me and I've got a call upon my life. And there was a time in his life where, where, yeah, he was doing things on behalf of what he thought was God. But, but it wasn't on behalf of God at all. It was tearing down what God was trying to build. And he got a revelation of this. He said, I'm called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's he say? Next thing he says, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. See, that's a statement of consecration, meaning, meaning not everyone's going to agree with, with what God's called you to do. Not everyone's going to champion your assignment. Not everyone is, is going to have joy about your journey. Paul said, said, don't confer with flesh and blood. Once you know that you have a calling on your life, don't look for other people to, to, to necessarily confirm that for you. No, you have to go on with God. But, but the thing is, it's going to take a level of consecration. He goes on and he says this, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia returned again in Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and I bowed with him for two weeks. But of the apostles saw I none except James, the Lord's brother. If you go down to uh, verse one, chapter two, he says, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So here we see a man that knew he was, had a calling on his life, 
But he said he didn't confer with flesh and blood. And the next thing we see, he goes, he didn't go to Jerusalem. You know, if you want to really make it in ministry, Paul, you need to go to Jerusalem. You know, they're going to open doors for you and they're going to, you know, hey, hey, get in with James and then James will give you some preaching assignments. And, and, and all the, but he said, but we go to Arabia. What's in Arabia? There's nothing happened in Arabia. People didn't get filled with the Holy ghost in Arabia. They got filled with the Holy ghost in Jerusalem. I want to go to Jerusalem. Spent three years in Arabia. You know what Paul established in Arabia? This is history. He established a move of God in a gospel of revelation of Jesus Christ. So much so that when Muhammad, Muhammad, when he had his visitation, this was, this was 600 years after Jesus, when how Islam was founded, he had, and he had his vision, he had his visitation under the tree, so to speak, from Allah. There was such a strong establishment built in Arabia that when Muhammad went in there to preach it, they chased him out. Go back and do research on it. He went to another town. Muhammad went back to another town and got this big following of warriors, went back and they went in and they conquered Mecca. Thus, you have Islam today. But Paul was there for three years establishing a faith and, and developing a thing that even years later, when someone came to a, with a different gospel, they wouldn't receive it. But yet something transpired in that process. I don't know why I went into that. But, but, but yet then he spent 14, another 14 years before he went back to Jerusalem. Here Paul is spending 17 years of his life before he really starts his first missionary journey. Wow. Because sometimes the assignment on your life, sometimes there's other things that you need to do before you step into the fullness of your assignment. I never thought I would be pastoring this church. It wasn't what I set out to do. I was, I was at EMIC serving in the youth, driving up there from here, you know, you know, four or five days a week, just serving the youth and whatever needed to be done, making myself available. Serving the youth, I gave, youth, I gave a commitment for, for a, another year to the youth pastor I was serving. His name was Joseph Canfield at the time. And, and I remember being there. All my friends were up there. This is what, 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 it was like, yeah, God, this is, I mean, all my close friends and, you know, Jeremy Pearson and I were close friends. We went to conventions together. We roomed together. And, and, and so I just had a lot of relationships. And I'm, I'm working for Jerry Seville Ministries. This church hadn't started yet at that time. And I'm even working here and they started the church and I'm like, well, now I'm going to go to EMIC because that's where, that's where all my friends are. That's, I'm being used by God there. Because I'm called to ministry, maybe not preaching, but I'm called to ministry. I'm going to serve. And all of a sudden the Lord says, you need to leave EMIC and go to Heritage of Faith. I don't want to go to Heritage of Faith. All my friends are here. And, and, and it's, it was six months I was being disobedient. He, I, he, I kept saying, that's like, I was giving excuses on why, why I didn't want to come to Heritage of Faith. I mean, there wasn't, I mean, I'm serving Dr. Savell, and I knew that the Lord said everything that I was called to do would be fulfilled through this ministry. So it's not like I wasn't connected to his ministry. I was serving faithfully. 
But you had an issue with church. Where to go to church? <laughs> and finally, the Lord rebuked me and he said, Justin, for you, church is no longer about your choice, but it's what I've called you to. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, well, Justin, you come over here and you're going to be the pastor one day. No. I came over here and I worked in the sound booth for three years. I worked with three to five-year-olds for three years. I ran the bookstore for two years. I cut grass. How I got hired working at the church was cutting grass out there in front of the prayer chapel when it was 105 degrees in Texas in the summer. And I'm from Maryland. It's not that hot there. And finally, that, you know, right after the Lord told me that, I made a decision, okay, I'm going to, because I gave a commitment, and I'm going to honor my commitment. And the youth pastor came to me, and he put his hands on my shoulder, and he said, so when are you leaving me? He goes, he goes the Lord spoke to me months ago that, that you, you were supposed to leave. I'm like, ah, oh, really? <laughs> but when he said that, church for you is no longer about your choice, but it's about where I've called you. Sometimes where he's called you might not be where you want to be. Where you're currently serving right now might not be where you want to serve. But consecration doesn't matter because the calling is greater than what feels good. This is what Paul was saying. Go Go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. We talked about Abraham. We talked about Paul. I'm not putting you to sleep, am I? Well, if you are, then you can go back and listen to it. So, now this to me is the greatest level of consecration. Verse 36 of Matthew 26 says, "Then come Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane." And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray yonder. So this is, this is a, a prayer encounter that Jesus is having. So we could call this place a place of an altar, right? And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful and even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Think about it. Jesus is saying that... My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, and he says it's very heavy. Tarry here and watch with me. And he says, and he went a little way further, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. One thing about Jesus that we have to understand is he was always out for the will of God, not the will of Jesus. I mean, even his prayer and when he's taught the disciples what thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, what Jesus wasn't about his will being fulfilled, but it was about the father's will being fulfilled. I I must work the works of him that sent me while it is still day. John chapter John chapter nine. And, and here he's saying, he, he says, oh, father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he comes unto his disciples and he finds them asleep. And he says to Peter, what could you not watch with me one hour? See, Jesus is at a place of consecration. 
And I believe what even Jesus is even communicating to the disciples here. He's saying, you couldn't watch with me. And he says this, hold on, get ahead of myself. He says, what, could you not watch with me in one hour? He says, watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, there's so many things that God will call you to do that your flesh doesn't want to do. And so what is he telling them? He's talking to them about the future, not necessarily just that moment. He is saying, yeah, you need to be at the altar in a position in place of consecration because there's going to time where, where your flesh is going to be weak and you're not going to want to do what God wants you to do. So you need to be at a, this constant position of consecration. In verse 42, he says, he went away again the second time and he prayed saying, oh, father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Now, Jesus did not pray the same prayer twice. He prayed and said, if this cup can pass from me, let thy will be done. So Jesus went back to talk to the disciples and he came back and, and I think he was waiting for God to change his mind. Because he comes back and he says there, he says, if this cup can't pass from me, meaning he's like, God, can, can you, can, can we do this another way? Please don't belittle my Jesus by not thinking that this was a life and death decision. Sometimes we have this idea, oh, well, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and, oh, great drops of blood fell. And, oh, isn't that so sweet? No, don't belittle what he was facing in his soul. You're always going to be challenged in your soul to be obedient to what God's telling you to do. And here he is, he's, he's laying everything on the line and he's saying, if there's not another way, okay, that will be done. What a prayer of consecration. Now, this is the only time that you and I can pray this prayer. Never pray when it comes to healing. Well, let thy will be done. That is not scriptural. We know what God's word says about healing. We know what Jesus did at the cross. Let thy will be done, whether you be prosperous or not. We know it's his will because we have a covenant with God. The only time to pray, if it be thy will, as it pertains to your calling or it pertains to direction in your life. You don't pray a prayer of consecration from something you've been redeemed from. It's only as it pertains to the will of God for your life as it pertains to direction. Where, when, how. That's, that's, so here we see Jesus in this prayer of consecration and he's saying, if this can't pass from me, I understand, let thy will be done. And that's the prayer that all of us are going to have to pray, not just one day, but constantly. There's constantly things that can be thrown at me, at you. Do you think the, the enemy doesn't want to destroy pastors? Do you think the enemy doesn't want to destroy family units within a church body? Do you not, not know that God wants to destroy and maybe carry you out of places where he knows you called, you called you to be? The enemy does not want you to set yourself apart for the calling because the calling is far greater than what you can understand. And so often we get, 
we get entangled with things that are petty and things that don't matter. Let me close with this. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you for pulling on the word this morning. If you're new here and I'm, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a teacher. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, this is scripture that's been read a lot. It's preached a lot. There's so many great messages that could be preached out of just chapter one and chapter two alone. But I think we need to understand the context of it in, in what we're dealing with today. Verse one says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I believe the witnesses it's referring to are the witnesses of faith that are in the chapter above. He says, let us. Lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily easily beset us. So he's saying, lay aside any weight or any, not just sin, any weight or sin that would beset us. What does that mean? Lay aside anything that's going to take you off the rails. See, if, if I'm heading this direction and if I have some things in my life, and God also, God wants me to go this direction, but there's some things in my life. If I don't take those things off, then I'm not going to be able to go the direction he wants me to go. So lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Lay aside the things that get us off track. And this is what let us run with patience. What the race that is set before us. So we have to lay aside. See, this laying aside of weight and sin has everything to do with consecration. Lay aside the things that are keeping you back from the fullness of your calling. See, this is about fulfill, fulfilling, finishing a race. It's not just about it's not just about not having a bad day. It's about it's about the enemy trying to keep you from your ultimate calling, your ultimate purpose. So he's saying, lay aside the very things, consecrate yourself, get those things out of your life, get those things out of your life and run with patience, the race that's set before you. And then it says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now I always looked at that and, and understand, yeah, uh, you know, while I'm, I'm facing things, I'm, I, I lay aside that way to lay aside that sin. So it doesn't beset me. And you know what? I'm just going to keep my eyes on Jesus and it, it, it can deal with that. And I'm not taking anything against that that, that understanding, but why does it want me to look at Jesus? It's not just looking at Jesus like I'm looking at Kevin right now. Okay. Lay aside every weight and sin. And I'm just going to keep looking at Jesus. You're such a good Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? Now there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the word. So let's keep our eyes on the word. So there's a lot of things we could talk about, but what is it really trying to communicate here? What does it really want us to see? What does it want us to see? Looking unto Jesus. Then it says this, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Man, that was, so I'm looking at, so as I'm seeing this, we're seeing inside of Jesus's prayer at the garden of Gethsemane. What was he doing? He was, I don't want to do this, but I see Hannah. 
I want to die for Hannah. I want to die for Alex. I can't give in. I can't give in because I see Pastor Phil and the people that he'll pastor in Massachusetts for 28 years. I can't. I can't. I can't not not do that. I can't. I can't give in to what I'm feeling in my soul right now. I've, there's joy set before me. I get joy because I can see Kenny and the people that he'll minister on the streets and the people that will get healed on the streets. I, mean, I see Drew and what Drew's called to do. I, I see Simeon working, working as, a, as a physician's assistant in, I, in ICU at Baylor, Scott & White. I, I see Simeon bringing him from Kenya and bringing him over here and getting a, getting a degree, become a physician's assistant to minister to people that are sick and broken. I can't, I can't, I can't not fulfill this calling because I get joy when I see Matt. Working with his hands. I see. And he sees each one of us. So you have to understand this is so much more than me looking at Jesus running my race. It's, it's me seeing what he went through in the garden. I know I'm taking my time with this. And, but, but just hear my heart. It says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He could endure the, the uneasiness. He could endure the frustration because he saw each one of us. And then it says, despising the shame. Think about it. Here, here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, he's thinking, of, I'm going to be naked in front of people. I'm, I'm going to have my beard ripped out. I'm going to have people say things about me I didn't do. I'm going to have people slap at me. I'm going to have my mother looking at me naked. I'm going to have people where that should have been for me because I came for them. But all of a sudden they're going to, they're going to take this guy Barabbas and they're going to set him free. And here I am. I'm going to die for people that don't even want me. He had to despise the shame. Wow. Man, if, if he could despise the shame, then you can despise the shame. Care about your past. And he said this. And to sit down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. Then it says, for consider him who endured. So we see looking at the Jesus who did these things for consider him that endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you be weary and faint in your minds. So consider what he did. So he went through, so I don't need to be weary and faint in my mind to be able to consecrate my life to the pur- purpose that he has for me. And then it says this, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. What is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus in the garden. Jesus, in order to step into the fullness of the calling he had to consecrate himself, separate himself. And I love how it says, you have not yet resisted unto blood. See, our, our idea of resisting sometimes is, please no. Oh, and, and, we, and then we avoid, we just avoid the situation. But no, he was like, you haven't, you haven't done what I had to do. So you can, you can do what you have to do. I did what I had to do so you can do what you can do. A life of consecration will take us farther than we ever thought we could. 
That's what I keep hearing on the inside of my heart, that, that we have to consecrate ourselves. Close with this thought. Go ahead and stand to your feet. The children of Israel were coming. Children of Israel had been surrounding and circling the promised land for 40 years. And uh, finally, they're about to go in and Joshua is seeking the Lord. And Joshua tells them, this is in Joshua chapter three and, and tells them now, he goes, I want you to, I want you to do this. I want you to send out the priests and I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. And he, he tells them this, he goes, now I want you to take the priests. I want you to put, have the Ark, the ark on their shoulders. And he goes, I want you to keep the Ark out in front of you about a quarter of a mile. And he tells them to look at the ark and he says, don't take your eyes off of it. Don't take your eyes off of it. He said, because you haven't been this way before. And so here they've been circling all the time, 40 years in the wilderness. But now God says, now I want you to take the ark, which represents the word of God and the presence of God. And I want you to put it out in front of you. He goes, I want you to keep your eyes on it. Keep it out in front of you because you're about to go someplace you haven't been before. And I believe there's some people in this place. And I believe even this church. There's some places we haven't been before. And we're going to have to keep our eyes. And it's going to take a level of consecration. The very next verse after he explains that, he says, sanctify yourselves today. He says, sanctify yourselves today. For tomorrow you will see signs and wonders. He says, set yourself apart today. Because what you set yourself apart today is going to cause you to see something different tomorrow. And what we as a church set ourselves apart in as a church and as individual uh, body of believers. So we consecrate ourselves and we set ourselves apart. We're going to see things we've never seen before. So next week, I'll continue on talking about this life at the altar as being a life of consecration. Hallelujah. You received this word today. So just put your hand on your heart. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Father. If you, this, this message ministered to you today, just put your hand on your heart. Just repeat that after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the challenge that it brings. I receive the knowledge that you have a calling on my life, that you have a purpose for me. And it's far greater than what I know. So today, I choose to consecrate myself. Holy Spirit, help me set myself apart. To be the man or the woman you called me to be. To fulfill all my days. To affect the kingdom of God. And bring change everywhere I go. In Jesus' name. Give him a shout of praise. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You know, talking about consecration and talking about obedience and sometimes the Lord will have you do things and or speak to you things and you don't know always why why you're doing it at the moment. 
but then you you just have to be obedient. That's that's kind of where things are. And a number of months ago, or a couple months ago, when I was preparing for anniversary service, when I ministered on find your stride, get momentum, and fulfill your purpose. And I believe I think we just sent that message out to everyone that's on our data on that that's, we have here to, for people to re-listen to it. But as I was praying over the men, moment, getting momentum part, it was about four weeks before, five weeks before that. Um, kept hearing something on my heart and the Lord saying, you need to do this because it's about momentum. And I'm like, Lord, but I don't, I don't want to do that. And, um, because it's, and, and there was a number of reasons why. And, and so a couple of weeks go by, I then go to Annette cause I keep hearing this every time I'm praying about the church, <coughs> excuse me. And so I go to Annette and I said, Annette, this is what I'm hearing. And and she's like, well, I, I can't really help you because I'm not hearing that. <laughs> not that she was, not that she didn't believe in me. She believe, she she believes in me. So it had nothing to do with that. She was just like, well, you just need to kind of keep praying, <laughs> keep praying, keep listening. And so more weeks went by. We went away with our family um, to Florida and then still praying. Every time I'm praying about this particular thing, I keep hearing this. I'm, I'm praying about 2022. And the Lord's like, he keeps saying this. And I'm like... Okay, Lord. I was like, you tell Dr. Savell, and then he can tell me, and then I can say, hey, see, Annette, I told you that. <laughs> see, you know, see, you see, Annette and I are in the know because you told us that. So I was, I was like, well, you speak to Dr. Savell and let him, let him tell me that. And, and so it came to last Sunday, early in the morning, and I wasn't ministering last Sunday, and, and I was like, Lord, I wake up, and I had this urgency, and it was almost like, you have to make this decision now. And I'm like, I don't want to make that decision. And then he started speaking to me, and I'm having a conversation with God, and, and I'm going, no, but yeah, no, yeah, oh. I'm just talking about how God and I communicate. <laughs> and that, oh, was, he's right. <laughs> like, I gotcha. And, uh, and he said, you need, to, you need to call Dr. Savell, or you need to message him and see if he can meet with you this morning. Okay, so I messaged him, well, you, know, you don't want to bother the prophet. He's getting ready, right? And so, so I messaged him, and he said, okay, we'll meet at 9.20 on Sunday morning. I said, okay. So I tell him, and, and, and what the Lord had me do, and he, this is what he spoke to me. He said, and he said, you need to go back to doing one service. And I'm like, what? And he's like, because I was like, I, I said, Lord, I like, I like doing two services. I don't have a problem with two services. It's easy for me. And he says, well, why is it easy for you? I'm trying to think, because I'm so great. <laughs> I'm trying to, that, that's not what I think. But I'm just like, I'm trying to think of, and he goes, because you had a grace to do two services. And he said, if you don't make a change, he goes, you will step into a season with no grace. I don't want that. You don't want to see Justin without grace. And so I was like, okay. And because my, because my, my thinking was like, what we, how are we going to fit? <laughs> are we going to make it work? I mean, cause we're already like 90, 95% full. And that's cause we have, I mean, everyone that comes co- a course of a month, cause so some people come once a month, some people come every other week, some people come every week and you have a wide range. So everyone comes through, through our giving on a course of a month is over 600 people, 600 people, five, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it fluctuates, but but the point is, like, how are we going to fit people? And the Lord says, it's not for you to worry about. I'm like, okay, all right. Let's be obedient. So starting next Sunday, we will have one service at 10 a.m. And um, and Lord said it's not going to be a long-term 
It's not going to be necessarily a long-term thing. He said it's about momentum, and then he said it's about mending nets. And um, I'm not going to preach that right now, but and I haven't preached it, but I've ministered in our, in our corporate prayer. We have corporate prayer every Monday night. But about eight months ago, the Lord gave me this thing about mending nets and where we were as the seasons of the church. And he talked about Jesus and how Jesus was, was walking on the seashore. And he came across two, two disciples. And the first two disciples he saw, he said, he said he saw them mending their nets. Two verses later in verse 19, he said he saw these two disciples and said they were casting in their nets. And the Lord said that nets need to be mended before they can be cast in. And he's really talking about where we're headed in this season of momentum and what's going to take place over the next year for us as a church. And it's, and it's bigger than what I can think. And there's some things he's going to do by the Holy Spirit. There's, there's going to be a move of God that's going to hit this place in an extraordinary way. And, um, and, and, but anyway, it's about momentum and it's about mending. It's not about, oh, well, it's just more exciting when we're all in one service. That's, that's a flesh response. But, I mean, yeah, there's an element to it. But the point is, is, is I have to know the why. Why do, why do you want to do this, Lord? And the why is momentum and mending nets. And so just so I want you to hear it from me and not just say, hey, we're going to one service next week. I'd just rather you know the why behind it because we're a church family and we're all, all here to impact Crowley, Texas and South Fort Worth. And so I want you to know why we're doing it. It's like I said, it's not just so we can all meet together, although I, I'm liking that because it brings greater unity. Yes, it brings, you know, it gives us more time. Uh, in our services uh, for things. So, so I know God's got great things in store for us. So, so I'm excited about it and, um, and expecting great things. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.